Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Underdogs. I'm Tom Haberstroh, as always, joined by Jordan Brenner and Peter Keating. The first round is in the books. It went by just like that. I can't believe it. 32 games are down. We had the Friday games done. There wasn't a St. Peter's over Kentucky upset in this round, uh, or in this day, I should say. But it really does feel like, Jordan, we should probably rename our podcast. Oh, the favorites podcast. That is that is where we're at now. We have completely we've been doing the show for a month and we've completely lost the plot. It's it's crazy. Like we we watched the games yesterday and there were only two giant killer eligible killings. So there were 12 eligible giant killer matchups where you had five seeds of separation between the two teams and only two actually came through. They were both 11 over 6. You had Iowa State and Notre Dame pulling off the upsets. But those are like those aren't mid-majors. It's not like the old Davidsons or the Abilene Christians or the or the St. Peters for that matter. This was Iowa State and Notre Dame. It kind of feels like those aren't even all that big of an upset. But yes, those were the giant killer upsets that did pull through in yesterday's games, but mostly it was the favorites. The cool thing I always say is that when you have what you really want, if you want a great tournament, is a bunch of near upsets in the first round. Because when the favorites survive, you get great second round matchups. You get great sweet 16s. You don't have these teams who who maybe sneak in a win or two, but then get blown out by 20 in the next round. So for a really good, fun tournament, we're kind of well positioned. Well, I think this is kind of like, you know, like when baseball fans say, oh, we can't put Jim Tomei or whoever, modern player in the Hall of Fame. The, the Hall of Fame is only for Babe Ruth and Willie Mays. Well, the, the Hall of Fame hasn't for Babe Ruth and Willie Mays exclusively for like 80 years. Giant killings aren't always about Davidson, right? Or about Villanova beating Georgetown. Most of the time, they're about not so great teams mucking things up against superior opponents to the point where they have a chance to win and then they win. We've been seeing mid-majors play the role of giant killers for about 10 years now. I mean, that 11 line in the first four, uh, half those spots are filled by mid-majors. Half of them are filled by big program teams, right? Big conference teams. So um, I have to say I, I dissent a little bit. Like, my day was made by one of the worst games I've ever seen played. The LSU-Iowa State <laughs> game. Like. <laughs> We called right. it though. We called that right to because a we're not just touts. We're using the numbers to tell the stories of how we think teams are going to play. And when they play according to form, and that form gives an underdog a great chance, then for me, that's a great day. I mean, LSU and, <laughs> and Iowa State missed forty combined, forty three-point shots, and I'm sitting there going, "Like this is great. That's the agent of chaos." In Incompetence can be an outstanding agent of chaos. <laughs> and how many turnovers back and forth and well, back and forth were there in this game? It LSU had 19 turnovers. Disgustingly yeah, I just beautiful. Want to say, I wrote that 
it would be a minor miracle in this game for either team to hold the ball long enough to take a shot. And LSU turned the ball over 19 times. And and so they deserve to go down to an 11 seed. And, and we can say <laughs> Iowa State's a major conference program, but I mean, Iowa State won two games last year. Iowa State went two and 22 last year. If there's ever a, an exemption to call a, a, a big conference team a mid-major or a little underdog or a little engine that could, I mean, here's a team that won two games, and now they're in the second round. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and... And we'll get into Iowa State's upset chances again in the second round. But the other upset that we, we've we liked, or at least did actually pull through, is Notre Dame. Shout out to Golik and Smeddy, the new podcast for DraftKings. Jessica Smetana, who's co-hosting that with Golik Sr. They got to be happy with Notre Dame pulling off this upset, quote-unquote, this upset over Alabama. They just blew the doors off of them. So we had talked about Notre Dame having one path two major upsets and that's at the three-point line because they don't force a lot of turnovers they don't offensive rebound well they're not a great team and um yeah Cormac Ryan took care of that seven for nine from three the team shot 10 of 16 from deep and Alabama couldn't match that and we talked about how Alabama was super inconsistent all season they were a pretty vulnerable giant if you will so they left that one opening for Notre Dame and Notre Dame took it and that's going to be Notre Dame's ticket every game. And we'll get into their matchup against uh, Texas Tech later, but that's going to be the same yeah, sort so of situation. Two, I mean, How many right, threes? I mean, two things. How many threes can they take? Right, How many can they punch make? Punch chance. Punch has got to punch. And the other thing I wanted to ask you. You're a little, you're a little uh, punchy today, Peter. I was going to say punch drunk, but I don't know that that's a politically correct term anymore. Um, so let's just leave it as drunk. No, 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 no. Um, the uh, I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, apropos of nothing else, just because this is our last chance we're ever going to get this season to talk about Alabama. Um, are they the single most disappointing team in the country from an analytics perspective, Jordan? I mean, we thought Alabama was building the kind of program that would be analytically smart. And, and I had thought, and clearly I'm wrong, you tell me if I should have been thinking this, kind of resistant to wild year-to-year inconsistency. I don't know how you can be resistant to wild year-to-year inconsistency in a sport where the best players are one and done. Unhappy players now transfer and go somewhere else a year later. Continuity is a thing of the past. So I think it's almost impossible to build consistency, even for the best programs. So I, I, I think we both admire Nate Oates' philosophy and the type of program he wants to build, but I don't think you can expect to see an analytically well uh, conditioned team each year it's just not going to happen in the modern era yeah they completely fell apart down the stretch they lost to texas a&m got blown out by them then they lost to lsu in overtime and then they lost to vandy in the sec tournament and then just lost to notre dame so complete collapse down the stretch. totally well they're gone yeah it just yep. wasn't there wasn't there they beat four so- top 10 teams and they're gone peter I am really disappointed in you because when Jordan suggested that we call this podcast the favorites podcast, you did not chime in and say it should be called the Overdogs <laughs> podcast. I'm just really upset about that. Well, it's getting to the point where we're liking Overdogs <laughs> uh, as a statistical model or at least as a betting model. But no, I, I mean, I mean, I, I'm still in the process of patenting the term Overdogs. So until I secure the full rights and royalties to the use of the term, I'm, I'm not on board with, you know, us using it. Maybe in a couple of weeks, my, 
my lawyers will get back to me about whether we should call it overdogs. Um, but but to that but to that point, Peter, it feels like the lesson, the big lesson of the first round is that the betting public were overzealous about underdogs, right? That they were picking a lot of the action was on the underdog rather than the favorite, and it seems like our model was super conservative on underdogs this year and actually the value was on the favorites the overdogs i think when we first saw the matchups our first reaction as a group was this isn't going to be a good year for underdogs and it stands in such contrast to last year which was just crazy but peter did some awesome analysis to sort of back up that point um that i'd i'd love for him to share with the masses because i think it 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 shows you not only what we were expecting this year but also it, it lets you reframe how you think about predictions and and what you ultimately want to be doing if you're playing a bracket versus betting money lines. Yeah, so, so you know, in every game, we have an estimated chance of an underdog pulling an upset. You can compare that to the implied odds of uh, it kind of in real life, people betting on these teams of that team pulling an upset, given gambling on the money line. So that always presents a chance for us to find, or almost always, provides a chance for us to find where the value is. Last year, uh, in the first round, we identified 16 teams that were value plays based on our model compared to the money lines implied odds. Nine of those teams were underdogs, and they went five and four outright, which was great. And seven of those teams were favorites, and they went seven and zero. Oh. This year, wow. this year, we found 15 teams that were value plays, and 13 of them were favorites. Only two of them were underdogs. And one of those was Longwood, who, look, I, I watched the Big South Conference tournament just to watch Longwood because I understood why our model liked them. But that was a long, long, long wood shot. OK, um, so. Wow. 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 The point is, there are two things going on here, which is we saw right away from the matchups, but also even earlier from the teams that made the tournament, this is going to be a big year for, uh, yeah, overdogs and not a great year for, for long shots. And that's kind of how it's played out. But just as the tournament zigged that way, the public has zagged towards betting on uh, underdogs. Now, maybe that's because of the great success underdogs had last year. I think that's I think that's a big part of it is people remembered last year's chaos and felt like, oh, this is how many underdog picks I should be making. And it didn't it didn't materialize this year outside of St. Peter's. Right. There is, of course, we had Iowa State and Notre Dame yesterday. But in the terms of the the classic mid-major, the Chattanoogas, the, the Colgates didn't really come through outright. But the other thing is this year, if you look at against the spread, the underdogs are 16 and 16 against the spread this year in the first round an even 50%. And that's not going to do you any good if you're if you're just betting on the underdog in Vegas. In the last two years, the underdog in the first round went 37 and 24 against the spread for a win percentage or a cover percentage of 61%. So over the last two years, I feel like if you're filling out your brackets, you're you're having a, a nice time by picking the underdogs or Cinderella's going deeper in the in the tournament. This year, not so much. And so the, the value has been on the favorites, it does seem like. Look, look, looking at UAB, we would have loved UAB in any other right. matchup. But they, they, they hit Houston, and they and they didn't do well against Houston. So I wish we had better matchups for the UABs of the world, because uh, then we would see more upsets. 
But I think you raised a couple of good points. One was, I, I still think most people, despite the proliferance of sports gambling right now, most people are still filling out a bracket rather than betting these games individually as money lines. We're, we're getting to a point where that's going to be more and more prevalent. But doesn't it, guys, when you're filling out a bracket and you've gone chalk like four or five games in a row, don't you almost feel like you have to pick an upset or you're doing something wrong? So I think that human nature is working against you. Uh, Tom, you had alluded to that. So, but but the fact is, if you actually want to be strategically different, going a very, very chalky bracket probably differentiates you somewhat from the masses um, and certainly would have paid off this year. I, so I, I, and I and to your other point, I wonder how much they are differentiating uh, in the matchups in these 12-5s. Is there just like a standard point spread you would expect for a 12-5 matchup? So maybe we know that Houston was a safer giant, but maybe Vegas isn't adjusting so much to the fact that UAB was playing a, a much worse matchup than than could have been. If they yeah, I think that's region. particularly true, maybe uniquely true with the NCAA tournament. We, we, we've been studying this for years before gambling was widely legalized, right? And so we get to a point where if there were a 12 seed or an 11 seed with a 40 something percent chance of winning, according to our model, we'd be like, that's great. Let's go for it. This is a team we can root for. If it was above 30 percent, as a 13 seed, we'd be say, you know, jump in, right? Um, to the point where we would kind of mentally claim credit for those teams, even if they only had like a 34% chance of winning because they were better than expected for the brackets, which is what we were thinking about because that's what everybody was thinking about. Now, we have to think when we watch Wisconsin play Colgate, well, um, is Colgate the type of team that should win? No, but is Wisconsin the type of team that should win? No, but what percentage chance do we give them? Okay, and how does that compare to how everybody bet? As opposed to just saying, you want the little underdog to go beat the bad old favorite, right? It's a lot more complicated now when all those twists and turns take you from a statistical projection to a betting line. The fun part about what we do, and we've, and we've done some version of this for 15, 16 years, is this process is one where we're always learning, and the model is always learning, and we're always tweaking the model. So I don't think underdogs today are necessarily the same as underdogs in 2006. I think the talent is getting spread out more around the country. There's, I, I think in any sport, generally, the number of players who are good increases over time. So I don't think a Colgate of 2022 is the same as a Colgate of 2006. So I think that's the really fun part is now we get to go back in the lab after this is done and start to look at some different categories that maybe the model didn't pick up as significant 10 years ago, but might now, whether that's experience or uh, possession length on offense or a whole bunch of other things. So I'm excited to see what's new. And what else we can add to the mix so, for next year? Um, so next year at this time, hopefully we'll be able to tell you why we missed Richmond this year and what we've done to fix that. But now that we've covered Colgate, let's crest into previewing. No, no, not at all. Colgate, crest. Oh, that's, oh my God. Oh, let's, let's, me a I second. didn't even, didn't let's, even hit. Let's, oh, let's, let's so crest into... Let's crest into previewing the games that are to come, shall we? <laughs> Wait, did you say previewing? Uh crested to previewing yeah i'm sorry i was still flossing (laughs) when i was talking (laughs) oh my god for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Wisconsin, minus three, uh, favored by three points. They're, um, they're playing Iowa State, an 11 seed. Vegas sees the implied odds at a 40% upset chance for Iowa State. We actually think it should be higher than that. And it's very rare this year that we see an upset brewing much more than the public does. Um, but this one, we're all over Iowa Well, let State. me tell you what I loved about Wisconsin's game against Colgate. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. First uh. of all, they won by seven in the end because Colgate just physically crumbled. Um, and so that means we don't have to hear about how Wisconsin guts out all the really close games. That hopefully the margin was big enough that – we, we won't hear much attribution of the victory to their superior character and clutch ability. The other thing I really loved about Wisconsin's win is that only 30 minutes into the game, playing the team with the 329th uh, strongest schedule in the country, playing a team ranked about 100 spots below them, playing a team with one talent to hit threes, Wisconsin decided to guard the perimeter. Whoa! What an adjustment! Poor Debbie Antonelli was yelling, run him off the line, run him off the line, make him dribble. <laughs> it's like she recognized what needed to be done <laughs> yes. hours before yes. Greg Gard did. Yes. I mean, talk about Goliath. Wisconsin's just a uh, – by the way, also, like, how much does Wisconsin have to pay to buy an offensive rebound? So, anyway, our our, our model does not – In a home in, game, in, by the way. Yeah, in just a say home it, Peter. game. Say I it. Mean, uh, listen, I try to keep my feelings out of this because I don't dislike Wisconsin, but the model – our, you know, our slingshot statistical model um, just sees Wisconsin as a weak, generic giant that has benefited from a lot of close victories. And Iowa State is a bizarre mirror image, right? Strong on defense and causing a load of turnovers. And they, they, they are, um, they're here to cause some more chaos. As, as Do you know that these teams are, are, are ranked two spots from each other in Ken Palm? Oh, and, and who's in the middle, Jordan? Who's in the middle between them? I'm not uh, going to look, but I'm just going to assume it's a team in the NIT. A am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Wake Forest, Stephen Deacons, right between <laughs> Wisconsin and Iowa State. The Wake Forest sandwich, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We have so many teams. They, they should be in the second round now. Oh, it's obvious. If these two teams are playing in the second round of the NCAA tournament, Wake Forest, the 35th ranked team in the country on Kempom, should be absolutely in the tournament, but they're probably lose to VCU. Anyway, I, I by the way, I think this now made us four for four or five for five in podcasts we've done and where Wake Forest has come up. I demand equal time for Tufts. This is not fair. Oh, uh, when they're the 35th ranked team in the country on Ken Palm and they miss the tournament, the, the committee doesn't put them in the tournament, then we can talk about Tufts. Okay, Jordan? Do they even have a basketball if, if team? We're going to spend if, 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 uh, if power in D three, but let's talk about U.S. news if, rankings then. Then then we can. <laughs> uh, well, you guys, you nice guys have it. your uh, you guys have your two school playoff, I believe. Uh, uh, in the U.S. news rankings, and gee, at this point in the at, oh, here comes at the this Harvard. point in bas the, at this yeah, point in course, basketball yeah. too, I believe Harvard's seeded into the final of this. Uh, this three-man tournament. Oh. Okay. Right. Can well, we move on? This if just, I didn't go is... to Wake, the school that I would have gone to is Villanova. Okay. <laughs> Villanova 
is the second team on our list of upsets, potential uh, giants that are a little bit vulnerable here. Villanova always seems to be a little tad vulnerable to an upset. Right now they're playing that that plucky underdog, the mid-major Ohio State. Okay, so Ohio State is plus 175 if you wanted to bet them on the money line. Implied odds of 36%. We're a little bit more bearish on this upset here, but talk to me about Villanova and Ohio State, this matchup here for upset potential. Uh, Look, Villanova's always going to carry some risk as a favorite because they play slow and they love to shoot threes. So, there have been times when Villanova's gone down as a one or a two seed in, in big upsets. So, okay, that's always going to be there. However, they're very efficient. You know, they're good at both ends. Um, and, I mean, Ohio State is just miscast as a giant killer. I mean, they, they don't do what it takes. And, and so, yeah, the gap is actually a little bit bigger than power rankings would suggest. I mean, they slow down, but don't they have a slow offense? They have a slow, efficient offense, which is kind of what you want if you want to pull off an upset. They have the 320th ranked tempo it's in gonna the country. Be, it, it's it's likely to be a slog, yeah. Right. I think they can hang with them. I, I worry about Ohio State's defense. They don't force turnovers. They're, I think, 107th in the country in defensive efficiency. They're really going to have to hope that, like Peter said, Villanova falls in love with a three and it's a day where they're just cold because if Villanova is functioning normally offensively, I, I'm not sure how Ohio State can get consistent stops in this game. I was just going to add that on, on top of other things to worry about, like not forcing turnovers and um, and Villanova's general high level of efficiency, Ohio State is also something like 190th in the country uh, limiting opponents' three-point shooting. And I, I know that's not as important as allowing three-pointers, but they do that too. They allow a lot of three-point attempts and they allow a lot of them to go through the bucket. So that's that's a really worrisome sign against Villanova. Let's talk about Duke. Um, they don't draw Davidson here. Davidson just cr- absolutely crumbled down the stretch. They couldn't, I mean, it was like back-to-back shot clock violations. They could not penetrate at all. Um, and so Michigan State prevails. We would kind of like an upset a better upset chance for Davidson against Duke, um, slightly better. But still, I think Duke should be the heavy favorites in this game. Right now, the the Vegas money line right now from DraftKings, we're seeing them as a six-point favorite against the spread. And if you wanted to pick Michigan State, they're at plus 220. So implied odds of 31%. We're much lower on Michigan State's upset chances here. So you're going to hear... Uh, more than you can possibly stomach about another Coach K-Tom Izzo matchup over the next uh, day or so. And even I'm not going to be able to listen to it. What's interesting, I wrote about this at The Athletic, where you can read all our stuff right through the Final Four with the the all-bracket breakers team, an annual tradition unlike any other. Um, What I noticed (laughs) about this matchup is it's really different from pretty much any other one in the past. You think about Duke generally. You think about them playing way out in the passing lanes. Taking charges, slapping the floor. Um, Yeah. But the trade-off in Duke's defense always was, we're going to give up some points inside, we're going to give up some backdoor cuts, some layups, but we're going to force turnovers, get out and run, and that's going to be the difference. This, in the Ken Palm era, is the worst Duke team at forcing turnovers. So that goes back to 1996-97 season. And they just don't play that style. Michigan State, you think of these big, burly, offensive rebounding teams that generate, you know, they grab 40 to 45% of their own missed shots. 
This year, they're like ranked about 90th in the country in offensive rebounding. They're fine, but they're nothing special. So it's this, you normally have this great clash of styles that isn't manifesting itself in this game. The biggest factor for this to be a possible upset is going to be the three-point line. Uh, Duke generally takes away threes. Not as great this year as in the past. Michigan State doesn't shoot a lot of threes, but when they do shoot them, they make them. They're 36.9% from three-point range. Really good. The question is, is that because they're taking only good open shots, leads to a higher percentage, or do they have some ability to maintain that shooting mark if they take more? That's their best route to an upset. Duke got, uh, did, wait, so if they're going to do this, torched from behind the the arc uh, by Syracuse, right? I think also Vir- Syracuse and Virginia and Tech. Virginia yeah. Tech. So yeah. they've shown some yeah. vulnerability. Yes, Abs- Look, this Duke team in general, it, it, it is not a Duke defense. It's it's actually very frustrating to watch if you're rooting for them ever. Uh, which I know most of America is because they just love that program, but they're not. They just haven't. It's funny. They look better offensively earlier in the season than they have later, and they've got this great shot blocker behind them in Mark Williams. You'd think they would take more chances on the perimeter, and it's just not happening. So I don't see Duke running away from Michigan State, but at the same time, I've read a lot of analytics pieces about how Michigan State has honestly gotten by on a lot of luck this year. That their shot profile isn't great at either end. So I think our model is about right. They've got again, as Peter said, the puncher's chance in this game, but. Maybe not that much more than that. Jordan, have you looked deep enough into the future to predict just when Coach K's career is going to finally end? Well, I'd like to think that his career will continue in your head for many, <laughs> many years to come. Well, we- So hopefully hopefully that voice that you hear that drives you so crazy will just... Well, we know it'll continue on my TV screen with commercials long into the future. Yeah, did I see a commercial with Coach K... Matthew Stafford and Zoe Deschanel all together. It's like the strangest combination of uh, and Lily, Lily yes, from AT and T. Yes. Lily, who's found her way into extensive uh, airtime on the uh, TV broadcasts. Um, Bryant Gumble throwing to Lily every now and then is an odd, odd sight. I have to say, she's an underdog. She's an underdog triumph in this whole setting. Speaking <laughs> of someone who really likes airtime, let's talk about Auburn here. Bruce Pearl <laughs> and Jabari Smith. Um, when we're talking about ACC and Duke, and I, I don't want to spend too much time about Virginia Tech. That was a that was that was a tough loss for Virginia Tech after they win the ACC. Uh, but Miami here against Auburn, uh, they're a plus two seventy on the money line. We're not too excited about Miami's chances in Auburn. What what's it going to take for Miami to pull off the upset? So here? Auburn has the combination of qualities that make you a very safe giant in the early rounds of the tournament. They, they dominate the offensive glass. They gamble enough on the perimeter to force turnovers. They get turnovers on more than 20% of opponent possessions. That's a really useful um, statistical profile for, for a Goliath. And it's layered over a defense that's already top 10 in the country. The interesting team here, I mean, we, we've seen Auburn and their great players a lot, see, see how they operate. Miami looks completely different this year from earlier editions of the Hurricanes. Um, uh, Jim Laranega used to make it a top priority to have his teams focus on uh, allowing opponents to shoot less than 40% on twos, less than 30% on threes. Well, this year that all kind of went out the window. He got a bunch of really pesky, active, but very undersized guards, and he built around them. So 
They rank 10th in the country in steal percentage. Um, but this is astounding. Miami allows an effective field goal percentage of 53.6%. That ranks 324th in the country. Now, they were able nice. to get by USC because USC has a massive disadvantage in turnovers. USC was actually the perfect opponent for Miami. So I hope you saw Miami play USC if you're a Miami fan because they're about to run into a much more difficult matchup. Um, the gap between the teams is there. The matchup is bad. And Auburn is strengthened by its its protective giant traits. So it, I think the outlook for, for Auburn is pretty darn good. I think our model, what does our model give them? A, so there's a 14% chance of an upset. Again, again, because of styles, matchups, and, and the stats here, our model is more conservative in projecting the underdog success. Last two games here that are giant killing eligible. Number three, Texas Tech against a number 11 seed, uh, Notre Dame. And then uh, lastly, Arizona, the top seed in that region going against TCU that had a really great game uh, in their opening round. Jordan, what do you think about these two matchups from a giant killing perspective? Yeah, so uh, Texas Tech, Notre Dame, our model gives it only about a 12% chance of an upset. That feels right. There's really one path for Notre Dame to an upset. Again, we talked about it. Threes, lots of threes. Texas Tech has the number one defense in the country. Their only weakness, they allow a ton of threes. 45.5% of opponent shots. Notre Dame doesn't force turnovers, doesn't offensive rebound. They're going to have to fire it up again and hope they're, they're as hot as they were in, in the first round. Arizona TCU, this one's all about the offensive boards. Texas Christian. Best offensive rebounding team in the country. But generally, our model sees when they play power teams like Arizona, that doesn't always hold up. TCU's offense is a mess. If they can't grab their own shots and put them back, they just won't score enough. I think Arizona is big enough and good enough that they'll at least limit TCU's offensive rebounding. And if that's not at like a huge rate, they don't have an average. And I'll just add, historically, we found that when two teams, a giant and a killer, are each defined by their offensive rebounding statistically, the stronger team tends to dominate in his historical matchups the, the weaker team. That's not necessarily the case here, but the historical matchups are not, are not kind to TCU. Right, and the interesting thing on that is, is, is obviously the bigger factor should be Arizona's defensive rebounding, right? Since that's going to head-to-head with uh, Texas, uh, TCU's offensive rebounding. Arizona's only about an average defensive rebounding team. It's just I, I've always found it interesting that our model doesn't key in on that as as significant as as it does offensive rebounding for both teams. All right. So any more cyclones puns here as we go out? No, but you know I always like to throw in a bet that has nothing to do with anything, but uh, is something really to watch. You got to watch Walker Kessler for Auburn. He has 144 blocks this season, and I I am mystified. I mean Jordan and I argue about all this this all the time. He says, I, I shouldn't pay attention to blocks, but that's an astounding number. So I'm going to say Walker Kessler, at least five block shots against Miami. Tom knows a lot of times block shots are that's a right. symptom of a bad defense. That's not right. A, Especially not if, a good you throw, one, right? if you slap it out of bounds and just give him a fresh, a fresh opportunity to drop a play. So Walker, I don't know the numbers on Walker's block retention, basically how many of those blocks are actually steals. Um, but right. Right. But you know what? We'll get that probably in the next couple of years in the future of analytics is that we don't just measure blocks. We'll just we'll just measure block steals. There was a study about Dwight Howard and, and that rate. 
at the Sloan conference a few years ago, but it's not, it's not, you know, how effective blocks are turning the ball over. It's not, right, we don't know yet, but it's gotta be some, it's gotta be leads to some turnovers. Right. But you know that if, if you're, if you're rotating over to block shots, it means something has gone wrong in your defense. Well, That's the um, general point. if you're Tim Duncan and mm-hmm. have the highest block retention rate in NBA oh. history, it's not so much a, a bad play. Any, anything that Tim Duncan does at a high rate, it's, it's, obvious that that's a good thing you know tim duncan's probably the best block retention guy in nba history maybe a close second is uh mm, uh, will, Ch- will chris chamberlain paul. chris paul i don't know what I these mean, two may- Shane Battier, maybe perhaps? will chamberlain Who, yeah. will chamberlain just grabs the ball out of the air like tim duncan like slowly pats it he just kind of like taps the ball it, to himself Wilt just like grabs it with one hand if you get tim duncan for this podcast not only will we allow a lot more Wake Forest coverage and conversation, but we will be the true underdogs in trying to get him to say anything interesting. Wow! So yeah, that would be that would be a uh, that would be a, that that should be our next our next task. All right, I have my homework assignment: trying to get Tim Duncan on the Underdogs podcast. Uh, we'll see if I get that done. What a what a great first round. St. Peter's upset. That was really fun. Let's go see what happens here for the rest of the tournament. Thank you for listening to Underdogs podcast. Jordan, where, where can they find our, our Twitter handles? At Jordan Brenner, at Tom Haberstroh, and at Peter Keating, NJ, for New Jersey. And, and remember, there's no pressure at the eye of a cyclone.